We're in the Christmas season, and I'm <clears throat> preaching a series in, uh, about God. As our God is ascending God. He's sent His presence. We talked about last week. We'll talk about today. God sent His promise. And uh, one of the things that happens when I'm preaching is I begin to th- try to figure out always how long you're going to listen. And I try to time it just right, you know. So there are a lot of things in the passages here. And normally when I, when I preach, I, I pick one passage and just focus on it. And I may bring other things in. But, but when we do a series like this, I'm pulling from everywhere. And it gets so exciting that I just keep going. And I might look up one day and you won't be there. But, but uh, thanks for your, your patience. But we have... We have some things we want to look at, and so let's jump in. Uh, God sent His promise. From the very beginning, we've been looking at some things from the beginning. The promise is indicated in Genesis chapters 3, and chapter 12, and chapter 15. And we're going to look at that, and then we're going to move over to a New Testament passage that explains those things. The very first prophecy in the Bible. This is the setting that you'll find in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve had disobeyed God, they had sinned against God, and now Adam blames God for giving him the woman. She made me do it kind of thing, and and she blames the serpent, and the serpent is obviously uh, indwelt or controlled or whatever by uh, the Satan himself. And so this is what God said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now this is a, interesting, a couple of interesting things about this first prophecy. First of all, I want you to notice, you remember biology class? Or did you sleep through that? Well, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. I don't mean to get too uh, biologically accurate here, but I want to be correct. Women don't have seed. Check it out. Go back to your books and check it out. What's that talking about? Well, we're going to find out today for sure. That's why I'm here. We're just going to have a blast looking at what that means. But then it says, he shall bruise you on the head. This is a word that means to crush. He will crush you on the head. This is a fatal wound that this prophecy is talking about. So the seed of Eve will crush the head of this serpent, Satan. First prophecy in the Bible. And you shall bruise him on the heel. And that's exactly what happened. Boy, I tell you. Let's, let's go to chapter 12. We move forward to Abram. who will later become Abraham. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so you, and so you shall be a blessing. So God blesses Abraham so that he will become a great nation, and that great nation and Abraham will become a blessing. The whole reason that God set aside Israel is so Israel will be a blessing to the world. The whole reason that he set aside Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth, all the way to Israel is so that that nation, that great nation, would be a missionary nation to the world. 
It was never intended that they would be the only focus of God's attention. As a matter of fact, God's attention is on the whole world. His, his focus is to get His good news to every person in the world, and Israel was supposed to be the ones to do that, and they didn't. You can read about it. It's a little thick. It's called the Old Testament. But Abraham is the one we start with here. And I will bless those who bless you, and, I, and the one who curses you I will curse, and, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All. We're part of that. All, aren't we? Yes, we are. So now you can get into a lot of things when you talk about uh, Abraham and everybody's, you know, the, the uh, Jewish people are descendants from Abraham and the Arab people are descendants from Abraham. They all claim Abraham is the father and, and they're right uh, biologically. But spiritually, they're not accurate. And we'll talk about that as we move along. But this is the prominence here that is given to Abraham and is given to this. This promise is the first prophecy he talks about is beginning to come to light in chapter 12. But then we go to chapter 15. I don't know if I had any. Yeah, I knew I missed a verse there. It's a quick finger. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since my, I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? That was his servant. Abram said, since you have given no, uh, Abram said, since you have given me no offspring to me, well, I can't even read today. There we go. Just had to drain the water off. Uh, Abram said, since you have given me, well, I still can't do it. Since you've given no offspring to me, there we go. One born in my house will be my heir. And then this is what God said to him. He took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Look up in the sky and see all the stars. And if you can count them, which I can't, and I pretty much guess he couldn't either, so shall your descendants be. Now that word descendants is an interesting word. Just to clue you in, and we'll talk about it in a minute too, but that, that word is seed, singular. So shall your seed be, your descendants be. It's not mistranslated, but I just want to let you know that that's the word. Then, then the Bible says Abram, about Abram. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Now we have jumped quite a bit. So shall your descendants be. Now he promised he's going to be a shield, he's going to guard him, and all the stuff. And then he says to him, look, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, if you could count them. And... Then he believed in the Lord. And the Lord reckoned it to him, put it into his account, righteousness. Now when you're reading this passage in the Old Testament, you're moving along pretty fast thinking, okay, 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 okay. But you need an explanation. And I'm going to give you one in a minute because I know where, it's, I know where the explanation is. But let's continue in that chapter. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of, the, out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? This is an interesting conversation. God promises something to Abram and he said, how am I going to have a descendant? 
How am I going to know I'm going to possess the land? And God says to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. Now that's odd to me. Just saying, I don't know that I have ever been asked to do this. Don't know anybody has ever been asked to do this except I see it here. So this is odd. It gets odder. So hang on. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two. And laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. Now I know you probably read this before. You probably know everything about it. But I want to tell you what, the first time you read that, you go, hmm? I mean, you know, here in South Carolina, we don't think about cutting animals in two, one on each side like that. And do you do that? If you do, don't talk to me about it. I don't even want to know. I don't do that. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, I think that verse is here to remind us this really happened. This wasn't like a vision. This, this really happened. I think that's why that verse is there. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I, but I will also judge the nation whom they, they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. And that's when God brought Israel out of Egypt. You remember that. You know that story in Exodus. He's talking about that's going to have telling Abraham that's going to happen. That's a long time in the future for Abraham. But he's promising. He's promising this is going to happen. So there are promises within the promise that I'm talking about today. But pay close attention. Now don't forget about the animals that just got cut in two. You'll never forget that, will you? I decided not to illustrate it on stage. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. This is an interesting phrase there. I want to preach about 30 minutes on that, but I won't because you won't sit there. The iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. You know, that's, there's a, God does something that I don't understand and, and I don't know that we can understand, that, that the iniquity of people has to run its course. That's what's going on in our world right now, by the way. The iniquity has run its course, and then the end comes. And boy, does the end come. And it came about when the sun had set, and it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. So he cut some animals in two, one on that side, one half on that side, one half on that side. Now, coming through the middle of those pieces, this will clear it up for you, is a smoking oven and a flaming torch. Now, I hope you're like I am. You're going, what? <laughs> I'm glad you said what, because we're going to answer what. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I, will give this, I, I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, that hasn't happened, has it? That's another conversation. Go back to the pieces cut in two and the smoking oven and the flaming torch. And 
Verse 18 says, on, the day that the Lord, on that day the Lord made a covenant. This is literally cut a covenant. So now what doesn't make sense to us because we don't do this, I don't think. Now, I've been in Massachusetts a while, so I don't know what you've been doing down here, but I don't think you've been cutting animals in two and saying, look, I cut it in half, one half over there, one half over there, and I walk through the middle of it and I make a covenant with you. Do you do that? Please go like this. I'm getting a little scared. Well, that's what they used to do. When they made a covenant in that culture, they would say, I'm going to make a covenant. This is a serious covenant that says, what I'm promising to you is that I cut these animals in half and I walk through the middle of it. If I break this covenant with you, may this happen to me. That's what the covenant means. When you cut a covenant, you're saying, may I die if I break this covenant? The interesting thing about this covenant is God is making the covenant with Abraham, or Abram in this case. He's making the covenant, and God is symbolized by the smoking oven and the flaming torch. God himself is saying, if I don't keep this covenant with you, Abram, may I die. Now, God cannot die. God cannot lie. How sure is this covenant? I'm pretty sure it's pretty sure. Isn't that powerful? I can't get over the cutting up the animals part, but I'll tell you this. The visual tells you something. I will not break this covenant. Wow. Now let's look at the promise that God made from Genesis 3, Genesis 12, Genesis 15, and we move forward. And this is to bless all the families of the earth. So every human being on earth has this promise available. This is for everyone who will, who will discover what God has given. Now, when we go back and, well, we're not going to go back. We're going to go forward and talk about what just happened. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Now, listen to this. This is, this is the same thing, but it, Paul is talking to the Galatian church about it. Now, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one. And to your seed, that is Christ. You go into Genesis, you're reading along, you want to figure out what it's talking about, you go to Galatians and find out what it's talking about in Genesis. Happens all the time. You got to read the whole book. So I wonder what that's talking about. I wonder what that means. I wonder why it's like that. The answer is in the last half. The New Testament. So this is fascinating. Now this is a singular word, seed, in the Hebrew. But it's a collective singular. Aren't you happy? What does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you. Just listen. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. And remember, God can't break the promise or he'll die. And he can't die. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through, the, through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise has been made. The promise has been made to Christ, Christ Jesus. That promise made to Abram was made to the seed, seed of the woman. 
The seed that was promised to Abram is Christ. The whole Bible just weaves together into one beautiful story of God's promise. God sent his promise. Now, I'm not finished. I just started. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would, would, have, would indeed have been based on law. So God gave his law to show us that we need his grace, that we need his promise, that we need the seed, we need the Christ. Righteousness doesn't come through the law. The law is perfect, but we're not. We measure ourselves against the law, and we find ourselves coming up very short, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Fascinating. Now, about the angels, and what the angels' part in that was, I have no clue, and I can prove it. I can't figure that part out. If you figure it out, write it down and tell me. But we know that God made this promise, made this covenant. Now, we're not, not there yet. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. See what's happening? The law of God, the Ten Commandments, any law of God, any commandment that you've Try to keep on your own, and you can't. You find yourself failing. Well, you fail all the time. You, you're incapable of keeping his law. It was a tutor that says, here, let me lead you. Let me guide you. Let me guide you, and now here's Christ. Here's the one who fulfills the law. Here's the one that keeps the law. And then now you, when you place your faith, you're justified by faith, God takes you. He picked you up and puts you in Christ. The shortest definition of a Christian, in Christ. Read Ephesians chapter 1. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. We have all kinds of things in Christ. We're in Christ. Now look at this. You didn't know you were in the Bible, did you? But you are. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptized means immersed. All Baptists know that. It always means immersed. That's what the word means, literally. You're immersed into Christ. You are in Christ, who is the seed that was promised. That's why I can say descendants, plural, even though it's a singular word. It's a collective singular that means in this singular Christ, there are many. And that's you. You're in. When you're in Christ, you're in the Bible. You're in that passage. You're a descendant of it. I, I said, what is the song? Uh, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. Let's just praise the Lord. And some of you want to nod your head and turn a circle. I know. <laughs> yes, you are. You are. That's amazing. That's amazing. 
There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Never thought that, did you? Did you ever see that coming? You ever thought about find yourself in the Bible sometime? Now, I know you find yourself when it says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not hard to find yourself there. But don't forget to find yourself. For God so loved the world, I'm in there. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, that's me, shall not perish, praise the Lord for that, but have everlasting life. I'm in that passage too. We're in this passage we talked about. Genesis 3, the very first prophecy that seed would come. Genesis 12 and 15 talks about it, and then they get to Galatians and it explains it. The greatest commentary on the Old Testament is the New Testament. And sometimes you'll find out some of the greatest things you'll try to understand in the New Testament are in the Old Testament. It's one book altogether, and you'll find yourself in there. Now, the Bible gives us a, an invitation. It says, what shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, uh, well, let's start over again. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What did he find according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So if it's by works, you know what, I'll just clear off a spot here and have a spell. I don't know how many times, I bet nobody, I bet nobody in the history of this church has ever, ever, ever stood here and preached that you need to work your way to heaven and by good works you'll go to heaven. I bet never has happened. Never. And yet, some of you still believe that. I gotta be a good person, you know, maybe do try my hardest, be a good person. Maybe God will good outweigh the bad, I'll go to heaven. What? We haven't preached it. Where did it come from? It came from you. Deep inside there, somehow I gotta work my way, I gotta be a good person. You're no good. I I just wanted to encourage you. You see, one of the greatest things that God provides the Savior. You provide the sinner. You're qualified, and he is too. He's qualified to be the Savior. You're qualified to be the sinner, and it's not by works. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteous. He believed God. Believing is not a work. So, well, Pastor, that sounds like a work to me. Wash out your mouth. Now, to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Believing is not a work. Believing is receiving. It is saying, yes, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I believe in you. It's like, I trust that you didn't have any problem when you came in and sat down in the pew there. You just plopped right down without any thought that it might cave in. Now, I don't think we've had any casualties yet. No caving pews, but you just sat right down and made yourself at home. And I'm glad you did, but you trusted that that pew would hold you up. That's faith. You just jumped right in there and sat down. Because you knew it wasn't going to fall apart. You knew it was going to hold you up. 
Some people have more faith in furniture than they do Christ. So I'm just going to trust Christ, but I'm going to have to add something to it. My baptism and being a good person, maybe doing some nice things here and there for people, maybe that'll add and, and God will love me more. What are you doing? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. His blood washed it white as snow. It's Jesus who did it all. We can't do it. We believe. We believe. And he saves us. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. I love this. See, this is a quote from David from the Psalms. So people try to separate the Bible out. Like this part is for this and this part for that. It's all together. David knew what it was to be saved. He knew what it was to be a believer in Christ. So David couldn't possibly know about Christ. You need to read the Bible. He wrote a whole lot about Christ in the Psalms. Anyway, just as David speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed means happy. I mean, we're pretty calm because we're Baptists. And I, I'm kind of calm myself. I mean, the most animated I'm probably going to get is up here. So I'm not really all that much uh, to, to do a lot of things. But I'll tell you what. How do you get pretty happy about this? Happy, deeply happy. Deep from the soul, happy. Blessed when you find out you're forgiven... That's, that'll animate you. I mean, even, even those who are, you know, very introverted on the, on the inside, they're going, whoa! <laughs> I am forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. Some of you are having a lot of problems with this subject, with forgiveness, with forgiveness. It begins with understanding that you need to be forgiven, I hope you don't have a problem understanding that, that you've offended God by your very uh, sins against Him, and He's made a remedy for that. Oh, He knew about you a long time before you were even born. He just, he's taking care of it for you. If you'll just understand that He's made a way for you to know Him, then He will forgive you when you surrender your life to Christ, when you believe in Christ, you place your weight on Him, you s surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. When you do that, you're forgiven, justified. Right now, right now, forgive me. So I don't feel like it. Who cares? Would you rather be forgiven and not feel like it or think you're forgiven and not be? A lot of people feel like they're forgiven and they're not because they don't know Christ. They're too religious to see Jesus. But I want you to understand when you're forgiven, here's a question. Sometimes I'll, I'll put it this way. Are you better than God? You know the answer to that. Then why don't you forgive yourself? If God can forgive you for all the things you've ever done, why can't you forgive yourself? Are your standards higher than God's? Let it go. Just forgive yourself. People, your, your mental state would increase exponentially if you forgive yourself. And no matter what other people say about you, no matter what they think about you, whether they think you're worthy of being forgiven or not, it doesn't matter. It matters what God thinks. 
Forgive yourself and move on. And if they won't move on with you, just keep going. Don't worry about it. Just keep going. It is not your business what other people think. It is your business what you think. Have you forgiven yourself? You know what would be a great Sunday here at Five Forks? It would just be a tremendous Sunday. If you won't believe what just cut loose at Five Forks Baptist Church, everybody on December the 10th, 2023, when that service went, forgave themselves. That's what I'd like to happen today. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. And now that you're my Lord and my Savior, I'm forgiven. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. No condemnation. If you're condemning yourself, you're out of line. If people are condemning you and you're believing it, they're out of line. You're out of line for believing it. Believe God and move forward. Let's do that. This could be the greatest day you've had in a long time. If you just forgive yourself. Well, I belabored the point, but that's what I do. It's my job. Belabor the point sometimes. But I'll tell you, as we pray today, and as we ask God to help us today, I don't know where you are in your spiritual life. I wish I could know just where you are and, and just want to. It's like walking right now. I've got my hand in your hand, and we're walking along, and I just want to say, now that I've got your attention, here, take the hand of Jesus and keep walking. That's my goal. Just, let's just walk with Jesus. So, Pastor, you make it sound so easy. It's easier than not walking with Jesus. I'll tell you that much. A lot easier. So if you've not surrendered your life to Christ today, I beg you on behalf of the Lord Jesus, surrender today for your sake. And then find out what it means to be free and forgiven. And then live, live in it and enjoy it. It's a tremendous life. Let's pray together. Father, I'm so thankful, Lord, for your forgiveness. Thank you for the, the things that you've shown us from your word today. So many things are there that just are just so amazing. We found ourselves in the Bible today, descendants of Abraham. Oh, we may not be Jewish, we may not even be Arab, but we are believers in Christ. We found ourselves in Christ. And Lord, in finding ourselves there, we found that we're forgiven. And I pray for every person here, Lord, if it be someone here today who has never yet surrendered to Christ, never yet really trusted Christ, maybe been trusting in works, trying to be a good person, but never really surrendered, that today would be the day. If that's you, would you just concentrate on talking to Jesus and tell him, say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross to pay, to pay for my sins. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the dead, that I could be made right with God. And I want to be right with God right now. So I surrender my life to you. Submit and surrender myself to you as Lord and Savior, and I ask that you take over my entire life. I'm all yours. And Lord, in that moment when people are surrendering their lives to you, they find themselves justified by faith, completely forgiven, in Christ, ready for heaven, ready to live this week, because you've given them your spirit and the strength to do it. So, Lord, I pray for those who are here today who have surrendered to Christ, been struggling with some anxiety, been struggling with some difficulties, all because they don't really feel forgiven. They don't really feel like everything's under control. 
I pray that you would help us all to take those feelings and those anxious thoughts and lay them at your feet and leave them there when we leave this place today, knowing that we're forgiven, that you're in control, that you've got us in the palm of your hand, and you will never leave us nor forsake us. So, Lord, we commend these things to you and ask that you work them in our lives, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And we'll stand together for this hymn of invitation, and if you surrendered your life to Christ, I want you to come forward and make that public. I'd like to pray for you and pray with you. If you'd like to come and pray today, you just come. Whatever's going on in your life, you just come and pray, and we'll pray together, and we'll be out of here in just a little bit, and God bless you as you come.